Hi, this is Azimuth World Foundation's podcast, Connecting the Dots. With the help of our guests, we will be connecting the dots between matters of access to public health and safe water and the balance between humankind and nature among indigenous and rural communities. So my name is John Magnay. I'm the head of agriculture for Opportunity International in Africa. Uh, my role is to actually develop the agricultural finance programs across our, our countries in Africa and uh, I have been doing this for the last 11 years. Uh, we introduced uh, agricultural finance into Uganda 10 years ago and our strategy is not just to provide loans to our smallholder farmers but also provide technical support and uh, information about financial services to our clients in rural areas. Not only do we uh, provide them with loans, we provide training on uh, financial literacy. We're training them in good agricultural practices. And our first engagement with them is actually to profile them as farmers, their household, and the agricultural activities that they're operating in. Because one thing we believe in, that smallholder farmers are not just struggling to develop their farms, they are also struggling financially to support their families on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so tell, you know, you were talking about their profile, and um, the profile you're referring to is when you first start a relationship with them. But now you've got some years behind you uh, as far as this agricultural uh, loaning program. What are you finding has uh, changed in the profile? So when we first profile uh, smallholder farmers across Africa, and this is not just uh, reliant on Uganda, it it's also happens in, in the other countries across Africa. The thing that we identify is that the level of productivity of smallholder farmers is about 30% of what a commercial farmer would be doing. And what we believe has to happen is that we need to pro raise their productivity uh, through the training, and, and improve their productivity through providing loans that can support their production. But at the same time, we need to understand the pressure on the household for education and day-to-day -day expenses. And the seasonal income from agriculture is not conducive to their needs financially. So we need to provide them with financial services that actually can income smooth. Today we're in one of your banks in a small town and um, um, I don't know the number of uh, clients or customers you have out there, but uh, the amount of savings in there. Tell us a little bit about savings rather than spending. Yeah, so this is a very interesting one. Our model in Uganda is that we are both a deposit taking and a loan uh, bank and uh, our clients receive very good interest rates on their loans and very often the first thing that happens when we move into a community is actually we develop a savings culture with the bank. Uh, the bank we visited today was Mitiana Branch. Uh, it's been open nearly three years. Currently its deposits are uh, equivalent to about 1.6 million dollars and its loan book is, is about half of that. So what that actually means is we have a, a saving culture amongst our clients there. And there are probably, in that particular branch, there are probably 3,000 clients 
and uh, who are saving with us and probably somewhere just over a thousand clients who are actually borrowing money. So we are able to raise the capital that we lend to the communities um, from our, our deposit taking clients. Now, uh, you have a very um, uh, boutique way of looking at uh, development in rural Uganda. Um, and I'm referring to how you look at engaging the whole town and the, keeping the money flowing throughout the whole town. Can you talk about that? Yes, yeah, so one of the things that we see about rural communities, you know, in the last 10 years there's been a dramatic increase in the, in the ways that uh, clients are being serviced, particularly on a digital basis. And I think one thing that we see in Africa is that the use of mobile money, the mobile phone to be able to transact, has taken off like uh, wildfire in urban areas. But in the rural areas we see a much slower uptake of the use of mobile money. And this is mainly because to be able to utilize mobile money, you not only need to be able to transfer it from A to B, but you also need to be able to have all of the enterprises and, act, uh, and actors in a rural community involved in the system. So what this means is that if you want to take a taxi ride, the taxi operator should be happy to accept mobile money. If you want to pay school fees, the school should be able to do it. So we believe that by developing a community where the use of mobile money is going on, uh, it means that uh, there is a much faster uh, rotation of money within the community and actually it is, it is good for all of the community. In the case of our coffee farmers, we are sending them money digitally, but we still find that because there is not an agent who has sufficient liquidity, they will very often drive to the local town uh, to, to uh, cash that, uh, that mobile money payment and then come back and spend that money in the community. So rather than doing that, we want to encourage them to be able to use mobile money in the villages and use it for transaction without actually turning it to cash. Okay, uh, so the farm uh, that we went to today was a coffee farmer. Um, tell me, you've met him before or heard his story. Uh, tell me a little a bit about his story. So let's uh, talk about coffee farmers in general in Uganda. Um, our profiling exercise uh, determines the level of production and productivity, how many coffee trees they have, how much coffee they're producing. And when we started doing the profiling, we identified that the average farmer was producing less than 0.6 of a kilo per tree per year. If you compare that to a farmer in Vietnam who is growing the same type of coffee, we, he would be expecting to grow between four and six kilos. Now, the reasons for this are, are multiple. The first thing is, is that uh, the Vietnamese farmers are using new planting material. Uh, they are also optimizing their, their productivity in terms of pruning and, uh, and mulching and they are also using fertilizers to achieve those yields. But we believe that our coffee farmers in Uganda should increase their yields to at least two kilos per tree. And what we are seeing through the training that we are doing and the loans that we are providing so that they can afford to buy new seed seedlings and fertilizer, uh, that their yields are starting to increase.
So the farmer we saw today, based upon the numbers of trees that he told us, uh, is already nearly two kilos per tree per year. It was about 1.8. He's also planting new coffee, so in the future he will be, he will be getting higher yields with the new trees and uh, we see a, a bright future for him as a, a coffee farmer and as a lead farmer in his area he is teaching the other farmers uh, in, within the the coffee cooperative to to adopt similar good agricultural practices and the use of fertilizers so one thing i uh, was just so intrigued with is how simple uh, but yet how um, diligent he was as far as his um, coffee plantation. He's um, uh, created variety within the uh, fields, uh, but his irrigation system, I just love that. Would you tell everybody about that? Yes, yeah, so here is a farmer who has recognized that if he can plant his new coffee trees during the dry season before the rains come and get them established, uh, he gets but a much better growth during the first uh, growing season. So what he's actually doing is he's getting a plastic bottle of one or one and a half liters. He's filling it with water, turning it upside down and planting it in the ground uh, vertically next to the coffee uh, tree seedling. And he's actually irrigating just the root zone of that, uh, of that coffee uh, uh, plantlet. And by doing that, he's getting the plant away during the dry season. And then as soon as the rains come, he can stop doing irrigation. But it, he's has extended the growing period for his coffee tree. The other thing that this means is that, that more of his trees take uh, when he plants them. Uh, and they, they will grow more robustly. So it's a very good practice that uh, he's adopted. And he's now teaching that to the other farmers in his area. Speaking of teaching, um, uh, your bank also is involved with schools and in that particular town involved with that school. Tell me a little bit about your, uh, your bank's involvement with schools. Well, a very large part of uh, the work that Opportunity does is we recognize that uh, my team look at the agricultural needs and agricultural finance needs of our clients, but we also recognize that in a growing population like we have in Africa, one of the big growing areas is the need for education and the need for good quality education. So not only do we finance uh, private schools to develop their facilities and develop their infrastructure but by putting in um, finance for sanitation, for accommodation and for in building new classrooms. Uh, we also encourage our clients to work with the other schools in the area to develop the quality of education that they are delivering. So we have a whole program of teaching um, uh, teachers how to work together to improve their quality. Uh, it's a training structure that's been well developed and is now being rolled out across the Opportunity Network uh, for Education Finance. And we're also replicating it with other financial institutions who want to lend money to schools. Um, the bank you're uh, with now, banking is kind of new to you. you you're really, your background is what, John? So I'm actually an agriculturalist and I came to the banking sector purely from my, my uh, perception 
that unless we were going to get finance to smallholder farmers in Africa, we were not going to change the face of uh, agriculture in this country. As I said before, the productivity level of smallholders is low, but this is basically uh, due to two factors, the lack of knowledge and skills uh, on best agricultural practices and the availability of finance to be able to adopt those practices, to be able to buy quality seed and fertilizer and crop protection, to be able to buy machinery for, for planting and harvesting. So um, that kind of leads me into kind of some concluding stuff, but um, tell me what do you think uh, is the future of Uganda? This is what we are, we are seeing. The, the massive growth in population in Africa has not really been seen across the other continents, uh, particularly when we have this low level of productivity amongst our smallholder farmers. So what we need to do, you know, Uganda and Africa have large land masses. Land is not a major issue. Um, the one statistic that identifies is that the population of India and Africa is the same, uh, and yet you, Africa is ten times the size of India. So at the moment we have uh, good agricultural land, we have good water resources, but we are not utilizing those two assets, and our smallholder farmers are not benefiting from the assets which they have. So we believe that the important thing is to actually take farmers from being just subsistence where they're just feeding their families and a little bit of surplus cash to support their other household needs like education and health. We need to get them to a productive level. We need commercial smallholder farmers who are being more productive and producing uh, better yields, better quality products and a diversification away from just staple foods to the larger uh, uh, improved proteins in terms of animal proteins and a diversification of diet to improve nutrition. And uh, Africa as a whole? What's the future of Africa as a whole? Well, I, my perception is, is that the rest of the world is actually getting to the point where it will be not possible for them to grow much more food. Most of the Western world is op operating agriculture at its optimum levels, with yields increasing by maybe one or two percent per year. And all, but also at the same time, the degradation of water resources and land is actually uh, creating a situation where productivity could be seen to go down in the future. And yet the global population is probably going to expand by another two billion in the next 20 to 25 years with one billion of those people being in Africa. And we not only have to feed the extra billion in Africa, but we also have to contribute to the food demands of the other billion in the rest of the world. So I see Africa as an, has a potential opportunity to be the food powerhouse, to feed itself and to deliver food to the other uh, continents around the world. And water, how important is water to you guys? So, Uganda is blessed. 30% of our land mass is actually water. So, groundwater is good, uh, surface water is also good. The one thing that we do not do is we do not utilize that water optimally, particularly for things like irrigation. So, in the future, I see what we need to do is to adopt good, responsible irrigation. 
uh, and that will include the use of drip irrigation rather than just flood or sprinkle irrigation. And that in by itself will improve the production and the, the consistency of production uh, as, a, as a counter for the impact of uh, global uh, climate change in, in Africa. And my last question, John, is um, about global change, weather change. Uh, tell me how you see that. You know, in the time that I've been in Uganda, which is over 40 years now, I am seeing that there is a day-to-day -day and a seasonal impact on the climate. Um, part of that is due to the population growth and the pressure that that puts on our natural resources. But the major one is that I am seeing that the rains are becoming more erratic. I'm concerned about the melting of the ice caps in East Africa on Kilimanjaro, Mount Kenya and the Ruinsauris. And I believe that that means that we are heading for a situation where we are going to need to take strategies to improve soil uh, fertility, improve our utilization of water, and uh, be more diligent about our, our uh, uh, practices to ensure that uh, we can consistently produce uh, food on a season-by-season on a -season basis. Thank you for listening to Connecting the Dots, an Azimuth World Foundation podcast. Join the conversation on our website, azimuthworldfoundation.org, or by following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn.